The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more. SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race strips to the Porta Johns. It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto friendly. They've all been well researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT22 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITO Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slay RX. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a father of twin boys, and I'm a college professor. My name is Michelle Frank. I am also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a CPA, and I am a mom of three girls. My name is Eric Hall. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm the father to three teenagers and the husband to a beautiful wife, Melissa. 
Thanks for being here, y'all. I am excited about tonight. We're going to be talking about the Houston Marathon, where there were some big records run, and one of the three of us actually competed in the Houston Marathon, pushing Kira D'Amato to a new Women's American record. Um, and, uh, and we're going to be talking about the Mountain Mist Trail Race, which I did this past weekend, and it was supposed to be just sort of a routine rambling over 50 kilometers in Alabama for me, and it was oh so much more. <laughs> uh, and so we're kind of going to be sharing two race reports with you tonight and we're excited about that uh, before we do that michelle what you been up to um took a week off after houston i'm the one who chased kira to that american record obviously and got back to running feel pretty good just kind of figuring out uh what if anything i'm going to do next which probably isn't much but feels good to kind of just get going again. So did a swim yesterday or two days ago, and I think I've run two days in a row. So big stuff happening here. <laughs> there you go. There you go. No, breaks are important, man. You know, take a break, drink a little bit more than you normally would, sleep a little bit later than you normally would, eat some more processed garbage than you normally would. So um, what is your favorite way to celebrate? Wait a minute, post? George, are you just describing what you've been doing for the yeah. last few days? <laughs> no, I'm describing what I tend to do following my, uh, my big A races. Um, but like I said, my race was not a big A race, or at least it was not supposed to be. So that isn't what I did. But, uh, but what's your favorite way to celebrate post-race, Michelle? Seriously. Like what's um, the thing that you hold back on throughout the training cycle and that you just totally let go on come post-race? Like French fries, probably. <laughs> I mean, I remember we finished and I didn't feel good at all. And we went and uh, we're like, are you really going to drink a beer right now? And I was like, yes, I'm going to drink a beer right now. <laughs> Isn't it going to make you sick? Probably. <laughs> okay. But I'll have um, some French fries in order to make things yes. settle so that I can enjoy this beer. Yeah. Um, actually what ends up happening is I get to the weekend and there's nothing to do. So I figure out some type of home project that I haven't wanted to do. Cause I didn't want to be on my feet or I was too tired. So last weekend I finally tackled just all this stuff in the basement <laughs> that I just couldn't handle. And, and I am nervous that I'm going to have to get back on the treadmill cause the winter's not over and then it's going to be hot in the summer. Um, so I probably spent like four hours just organizing my basement and that feels really good. So good. And messaging Eric about it. I, guess I was going to say, this is the first I've heard of it, but Eric, you, you were giving a knowing smile. I'm also going to yes. install some uh, drying racks in the laundry room. Like this, I've been looking at them for 18 months and I finally just bought two of them. So that'll be, that'll be this weekend's activity. So, all right. Yeah. Good. And I'm good with the house stuff. <laughs> so you have put more thought into drying racks than I think every other person I know combined. You have no idea. <laughs> Don't even want to know. <laughs> awesome. Very good. Uh, Eric, what you been up to, man? So I'll title this Okanichi times two. And again, um, <laughs> we, Lee and I were all, all set up to run the Okanichi relay, Okanichi speedway relay uh, this weekend. It was supposed to be Sunday, uh, but the weather did not support. We had uh, three inches of snow on Friday that didn't even go away on Saturday and they have postponed the race until February 13th. So we got to buy on that. I, and the two of us had pretty cool much that, cool that they postponed it rather than canceling it though right definitely definitely the the thing was lee and i had a lot of texts going back and forth leading up to this and you know lee friend of the podcast um he and his mom probably listen to every episode uh, but the 
the the flavor of our text messaging was even if they don't cancel it i just don't think this would be fun <laughs> running on a <laughs> one kilometer dirt track um, relay race one lap each and then we hand off in three inches of snow which would only be snow like right before we started and then it would turn into just mud because it's, it's a dirt track so we had kind of decided that we weren't even going to go out there so i'm really glad that they postponed it so that we can we can enjoy it that's, yeah. the, that's the point so that's the um and again and then the times two is because because we did not race this weekend i on a whim signed up for the okanichi mountain challenge which starts at the same spot runs a lap around that track and then runs up to the highest point in orange county north carolina which is okanichi mountain and then it comes back to the racetrack it's a 10 mile race cool. most of it's off-road i'm pretty excited about it cool man very good when is that that will be this sunday the, the, okay. the uh, what is that the 30th okay very yeah. good so you so get a nice nice preview of the course there Hey, uh, well, I've, I've already been out on the track. I did a little workout on the track to see what it was like. So previewing the course is just the one lap around the track. I haven't actually run on Okanichi Mountain. I'm hoping to get out there sometime this week just to see what that's like. So what's the weather like for Sunday there? Uh, it's not so great right now. It's it's not so great, but we'll see. 12 degrees here. <laughs> What'd you is say? That... I think it's going to be 12 degrees here Sunday morning. Oh. Right. It's uh, it's 17 in the morning uh, <laughs> on Sunday, and then it'll probably warm up to a, you know, balmy 20 something by race time. It's an 8 a.m. race. I see it's so. actually they upped it to 21 on Saturday and 23 on Sunday here. So <laughs> it's going to be warmer this weekend than I thought. So that I'm going to probably wear a similar familiar. outfit. To, yeah, I'm probably going to wear a similar outfit to what George wore for uh, Mountain Mist. But you can dress yourself. I I'm you. not asking for assistance. From, from you. No, we, we will we will describe that in further detail for all of you here in just a few minutes. But at the start of my race this past weekend, it was 14 degrees um, with seven degrees if you take account for the wind chill. So, so George, exactly what's up? What's been up with you? So, well, we're going to talk all about the, the, the race that I did here. Um, but, but no, as far as what's up with me, um, I feel compelled to tell everybody that, that, you know, since, since you're mentioning your house projects and we're talking about how cold it is, we moved into our house in 2016. Um, and today, um, the chimney company came and they have prepared our fireplace for fires. So this, so weekend, awesome. this weekend, we'll be building our first fire in our house while my sons watch the episode nine of Star Wars. Oh, that's you know, going to be awesome. I haven't been as excited about Friday plans as I am this weekend in a little while. So yeah, it's going to be fun. Is it a real wood fireplace? It is a real wood fireplace. Did you get wood? Like So no, not yet. <laughs> um, and I feel like I got to, I mean, I don't know. I don't know exactly where to purchase it. Uh, I've heard that it's actually, I've heard it's actually kind of hard to find right now. It is really hard to find, especially, I mean, you're a little bit closer heading up North, but mm -hmm. you could try an Ace Hardware. All right. Gosh, All right. you're going to spend so much money unless you just get some cheap delivery service to come bring a truckload of wood. I'll figure something out. So there, there's, I have to come up with a short-term solution for our Friday Star Wars 
by the fire plan. That's um, like three bags of $8 a bag wood from Ace Hardware for Friday Not a night. big deal. Not a big deal. Yeah, you can move, um, I believe. Move, moving forward over the remainder of the winter of 2022, I'm going to have to figure out something a little bit more cost effective, but we'll see. We'll see. But I'm very excited about that. And I'll be sure to tell you all about it. I am certain afterwards. Um, all right, let's do a couple of quick hits here. Uh, things that folks might have missed along the way. Um, I'll start with one. Um, Egan Bernal, I'll start with a piece of cycling news that some of y'all might have missed. Um, Egan Bernal, who uh, was the champion of the Tour de France in 2019, um, became the youngest person to win the Tour de France in over 100 years, became the first Colombian to win the Tour de France when he won in 2019. Rides for Ineos Grenadiers, won the uh, Tour of Italy this past year um, in 2021. Um, was training down in Colombia with some of his training partners, a bus stopped in front of him um, and he didn't stop in time, ran into the back of the stopped bus um, and was severely injured, um, broke several ribs, broke one of his vertebra, broke his right femur, broke his right patella. Um, and then, of course, had several um, several abrasions um, and road rash and all that sort of thing as well. Um, so I had to undergo two surgeries um, over the course of the past few days in order to be able to, to repair some of that significant structural damage that he had to his body. So um, a pretty ugly reminder of, of the risks that cyclists take uh, just to train for their sports when they're out on the road. Um, and, and of course, we hope he's going to be OK. Um, he was targeting the Tour de France this year. Most people see him as one of the very few people, if any people, that can challenge uh, Tadej Pogacar for, uh, for the Tour de France title. Um, but I would say that given the extent of these injuries, um, there's definitely some doubts whether he'll be able to return this year or even return at all. So uh, best wishes to him. We, of course, hope that he'll be OK. Um, but um, but yeah, obviously not great news in the world of cycling. Um, Michelle, give us a better piece of news. Um, well, I don't even know what to start with. First of all, we are big fans of uh, the Outside Online, Outside Plus. I think George has spent the last two weeks diving into a lot of David Roach's article. And I have read so many David Roach's <laughs> articles on Trail Runner over the We convinced George uh, for the podcast to get us a a subscription, but I saw today that Podium Runner, which is um, something that I enjoy reading, is actually moving to Outside Online. So Outside is making a big push to kind of officially host and generate more running content online, which I think is super exciting. For sure. For sure. Now I'm looking forward to that as well. Um, and we should thank our sponsor, Slayer X, for, uh, for enabling us to read all of those articles by Alex Hutchinson and David Roche and Amby Burfoot and uh, the rest of the crew over at Outside Online and Trail Runner and Velo News and all the rest of those things that we now subscribe to thanks to their sponsorship. So uh, that definitely makes us much more informed. And, you know, it definitely livens up our, our text thread as well. Um, so very good. Um, what else you got for us, Michelle? Um, I wanted to talk about a few, I guess, just kind of notable sponsor changes. It's the beginning of the year. We talked a little bit about it last time, but in the last time, in the last week or so, uh, you know, when Dathan Ritzenheim formed on Athletics Club out in Boulder, Colorado, it was, uh, there was a lot of backlash because it was just a predominantly white uh, group, but Helen O'Beary, who is a two-time 5,000-meter uh, world champion and was a 2021 Olympic gold medalist, is going from a Nike athlete to a on-athlete, and she's going to be training with that group, which I thought was pretty awesome. Um, 
we're seeing Ben Flanagan go from Benny Flanagan, I don't know what people call him, uh, go from Reebok also to on. And my understanding is that Alicia Monson's going to debut on kind of Super Spike this weekend at Melrose Games and Helen. And on Super Spike? Yeah. Okay. And then we're going to see Helen wear their super shoe on the road for road racing um, later this year. So that's pretty exciting there. Is that, is that the boom? Is that the one that, uh, that Eric has? Eric, don't you have the on super shoes? I think they have two carbon plated shoes on the market. One of them is the boom. I would not call that a super shoe. It just happens to be a shoe that has a carbon plate in it. And then yeah, this, they the came out with a real perfect. super shoe just recently. Yeah. Right. Like with a big stack height. So right. gotcha. Um, gotcha. And then more in the mountain ultra trail world, Hillary Allen, who we've talked about a lot on here. She's been with North Face uh, for several years. She's moving to Brooks, which is notable because former uh, friend of the podcast, Kat Bradley, also recently signed with Brooks and Brooks made a big deal after Des ran the uh, world record for the 50K. And they had said that they were going to put as much money um, into the, you know, mountain ultra trail scene as they were into the road track scene. So it'll be really interesting to see kind of then move into that market and um, what happens with that over the next few years. So pretty exciting there. All right. Lots of sponsorship moves indeed. Very good. Um, less about on and more about Adidas. Um, the Boston Marathon men's field was announced. And you all recall that last time we were all together and last time we were talking about the practice of groundedness by Brad Stolberg, we talked about the women's field at the Boston Marathon. And it was one of the strongest, if not the strongest uh, field of women marathoners that had been assembled for a marathon in the United States in a really long time. Not to be outdone, they announced the men's field, um, and the men's field is, I would say, equally strong. Um, uh, at sort of the head of the field or the big headliner of the field is none other than the the, uh, the king himself, Kenanisa Bekele, um, who is the second fastest marathoner of all time, the only person besides Elliot Kipchoge ever to run under 202 for the marathon, uh, Miss Elliot Kipchoge's world record by running 201.41 in Berlin a couple of years ago. Um, none other than Kenanisa Bekele himself is actually showing up for the Boston Marathon, which... It's going to be I mean, amazing. That's, yeah, I, 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 it kind of blows my mind a little bit just because those guys don't tend to run here. Um, and, uh, and I mean, his, his picture is on the wall, uh, in front of my treadmill and I look at it every day when I'm running. I mean, so, uh, I'm a big fan. Um, so one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest distance runner of all time, Kenanisa Bekele, um, uh, running the Boston marathon. But, um, in addition, there are several other folks who are, who are also running it as well. Uh, seven of the last eight champions, um, are actually returning, um, including last year's champion, Benson Comprudo. Um, Lawrence Tirono, Yuki Kawauchi, friend of the, not friend of the podcast, but we are fans of him here. Uh, <laughs> Jeffrey Karui, Limai Burhanu, uh, Lalisa DeCiso, who I also like a lot, um, and uh, and several others as well. Um, um, there is a bunch of great Americans too. Um, Colin Benny, um, who went to Syracuse as an undergrad, is going to be there. Uh, Jake Riley is going to be there. Jared Ward is going to be there. Um, uh, Scott Fobble is going to be there. Uh, CJ Albertson, who you remember just went out and led for the first 20 miles last year. Um, and then didn't die, ended up finishing like 10th or something like that. Uh, he's going to be there again. Um, Matt McDonald, who used to run for the, uh, Atlanta track club is going to be there. Uh, Gerald Mock, several others. So, 
So yeah, a pretty impressive men's field has been assembled for Boston as well. And we'll look forward to that on Patriots Day. And one more Adidas related announcement this week. Uh, this is notable because we talk a lot about college running on here. We try to, especially during championship season. Um, BYU has really just dominated the women's and men's scene for quite some time now, but we have two females from BYU, Anna Camp Bennett and Whitney Orton Morgan, who are both NCAA champions in their own right. Um, they both signed with Adidas, both announced this past week. And I guess kind of the big news here is they're actually going to stay with their college coach, um, stay around the BYU team. And that would be kind of the start or the foundation of um, really the BYU women's coach coaching both, you know, the BYU athletes and also professional runners um, alongside them. So it's a little bit of a similar setup as Mark Wetmore in Boulder um, with the CU college team. And then he typically has a group of professionals and we've seen that at Providence College and Michigan. So it's pretty exciting. Uh, I think they were really happy with the way things are going and looked around, but decided to just kind of stay where they are. So very good cool. year for <laughs> Michelle, the last thing that I knew you had struggled through the Boston marathon and you wanted to quit running and then you were just starting to find your mojo back and, and you did the wine and dine half marathon down in Disney world. <laughs> and then suddenly you up and run the Houston marathon. What's that all about? Um, I don't know. It was a little crazy. Um, I guess I, hopped back in. I did that wine and dine. I paced that half. And I think I just really wanted to be part of some type of regimen. So, um, I started copying <laughs> the training of another athlete that you coach Lauren Fogarty, who was also running Houston. And I just sort of wanted to see how I felt. So I, you know, just ask her, what's the run tomorrow? What's the swim? So I did that for a few weeks. I felt pretty good um, and thought maybe I'll try, but I had to do it under totally like different circumstances than I prepared for Boston, um, just in terms of my kind of like emotional and mental approach. And then so what I got- you, what, so, so, so we, we, report, we reported on Boston when you did Boston and we yeah. talked about the difficulty of that experience and, and, and some of the things that you and I kind of both wish that we did differently leading up to your, to your tough experience in Boston. And so you said you knew this one had to be different without recounting everything from Boston. Like, what do you mean? What had to be different? Yeah. So I sort of just committed to myself that I was going to go there and I was going to try to run uh, the way that I had wanted to run in Boston and for the level of fitness that I thought that I had, and I would get back again by the time January 16th came around, but that if it went to shit, basically I would just uh, reset like in the middle of the race and, and enjoy it for whatever it was. I wanted to uh, just enjoy being part of the experience. They announced the Olympic trials, qualifying times, you know, in between Boston basically. And when I decided to do this and I saw a big turnaround and immediately a bunch of people decided to go run Houston and try to get that Olympic trials qualifier right when the window opened. So and Houston's always a place where a lot of people go to run fast, but there just was a lot more hype and it got, I don't know, it just excited me to, to be there for that weekend. And then the other big thing was I did it and I just felt like I had put so many other parts of my life on a back burner for Boston. And it, it wasn't, <laughs> 
it wasn't worth it in the end. So this time I just sort of, I didn't tell anybody actually I was running Houston. Like my kids didn't even know. And what your kids really, no, nobody knew my dad, my dad texted me. I knew. I feel so cool. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was a big deal to be able to have my, to have my kids winter break, go to Florida, do all the stuff that we usually do and not be, you know, trying to navigate, I have to go to bed by a certain time and I have to get this long run in. And I think I was pretty clear with you, you know, I'm not going to do anything on, I'm not waking up early on this Sunday and I'm traveling on this Friday and there's this whole 10 day stretch where I can't get in a long run. And um, so it was sort of just something that I was going to knock off in the same way in terms of the training, like in the same way that I brush my teeth or put away the dishes after dinner. Actually, I don't ever do that after dinner. I do it early in the morning, but, (laughs) um, so that was kind of my three pronged approach of, can I train for a marathon and let it be like the fourth most important thing in my life, basically. Um, so Hmm. yeah, that's kind of what I did. I got stuck with Lauren's training because she has trainer rides and I didn't know what to do with that. So then you were like, why don't I just make you more <laughs> Michelle specific stuff? And I was like, why, Great. why don't you let me actually write your schedule for you, Michelle, right. rather than just <laughs> doing exactly what our friend Lauren Fogarty does. Yeah. So we did that for you know six or seven weeks. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Houston and it was freezing cold and I am not happy with the way that I dressed. Um, but it was a great weekend. I didn't have a great race. I, I didn't fuel well. Um, I don't, I don't actually, I don't know why, honestly, I don't, I mean, I have some ideas, but I only got in two gels and I typically take five and if I'm lucky six. So had a few really, really fast, but like absolutely (laughs) necessary bathroom stops. Um, I even got stuck at mile 24 waiting for this one porta potty and the person never came out. So I just gave up and just kept going. I must've waited like 60 seconds or something, maybe 45. It seemed like an eternity, but the door never opened. So that sucked. But um, anyway, it was good. It was cold. It was good. It was, it was fun to be there for a weekend in which, you know, the people in front of me broke uh, the women's half marathon American record and upon American record. So you, you, you pushed Kira D'Amato to a new American record. Yeah. The only thing pushing Kira D'Amato was the wind. <laughs> it was so windy. <laughs> it was crazy. I mean, I, the most fascinating thing about their times to me, and, and I haven't gone back to watch the coverage. I've heard it was absolutely awful, but the commentary was awful. Yeah. Yeah. The commentary was awful. It just seemed to me that if anybody was going to run fast that day, they must've had like a V formation breaking the wind for them. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, it was good. It's, I've never been to Texas even. So there was a lot of good takeaway from the weekend. Um, And I wasn't so sore after, I mean, my hamstrings a little tight, but it was nothing. I mean, I like was demoralized after Boston and I couldn't even walk up the stairs for a week. So this was, this was pretty good in terms of Michelle running the marathon distance and feeling pretty good. So, so would you rate it? I guess two things I'm going to ask if you would rate a success. Would you rate the race a success? And would you rate your approach to the race a success given the approach that you took? You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I loved, I loved the approach. I loved just sitting back and like nobody knew what I was doing. It, you know, we all talk, we want to talk about what are you doing? Like, I mean, you knew and Lauren knew, but, um, but really nobody. I actually knew. 
unlike when George <laughs> went to Tennessee. I knew what was going on. Um, so I okay. Let, let's talk. Okay, quick digression. Who did know? Because Lauren knew because okay. you were running with her a lot and swimming with her a little bit. I knew. Eric knew, but your kids didn't know. Did your brother-in-law know? No, Gavin didn't know. My brother-in-law didn't know. We actually went out to dinner with my sister and brother-in-law Thursday night before I left Friday. And they didn't even know, like they didn't know I was flying anywhere Friday. My dad called at like 1230 or one o'clock on Friday. And I was trying to get across from parking into the airport and it was loud. So I was like, I can't talk right now. I need to just get inside the airport where it's quiet. And then I got this text message from my dad and 45 minutes later. That's like, what are you doing at the airport anyway? And okay. I realized that a lot of people, adults might not speak to their parents often, and you might be able to get away with that, but I work with my dad. <laughs> So, I mean, I'm talking to my dad multiple times on a daily basis. So right. for me to be at the airport about to get on a plane, he has no idea is uh, a little weird. My mom knew my mom um, sort of somewhere along the way mentioned that like, I never invite her to my marathons and she watched me run once in 2011 and once in 2012, but it's just so boring. It's so I invited her when I told her that I might do this again. Um, because she was really adamant that I like picked myself up and tried again. She was actually the most, it's so confusing. <laughs> Running's either this selfish thing that I do that, you know, I, I can make time for that, but nothing else. Or it's like, well, I think you should go see a sports therapist and I think you should try again. And I really think you need to get back out there. So um, she was super supportive of that, but she didn't want to come because she had had foot surgery um, a few weeks before. So really just probably three or four people knew. And then, um, and then there was that there was that one weekend where you ran close to 20 miles okay. or 20 miles or so on Strava and people started oh, perking up. So invasive. Um, yeah. So it turns out if you run, you know, 45, 50 miles a week and your long run is like anywhere from 13 to 16 miles, nobody actually pays attention. But if you do a three hour run and you, or you cross the 20 mile threshold, everybody wants to know, what are you training for? <laughs> and I was blown up that day. And I just, I was like, I'm just lying through my teeth. <laughs> um, but I wasn't, I didn't lie. I just, a lot of the texts I ignored. Um, so most of the people that I blatantly ignored, I did send a message to early Sunday morning that was like, hi, <laughs> I'm about to go do this. I'll talk to you after. Sorry, I didn't tell you along the way, um, but yeah. And, and so, so the question is, why did you want to keep it a secret? How is that sort of part of the, of, of the approach? How is that part of the plan? Because I just had so much other stuff going on that I didn't, I felt like the way that the amount of time and effort and heart that I put into Boston and the amount of whatever devastation, I don't despair that it caused that people, I was not interested in having to defend I was not interested in a conversation with anybody as to why I would do this again, basically. Um, and it also felt like, and I'm sure there's something psychological to this. If I couldn't talk about it all the time and I couldn't, you know, text people, where are you running Sunday and, and try to find people to run with if, if I wanted to team up with somebody for a long run, I just had to like, it was just all about whether I wanted to do it. Like, do I want to do this just for myself and, I feel like a lot of times I go into That's cool. some of these races and I mean, I think we all do this, but it's like, oh, well, I really want George to, 
be happy. Like I really want, I really want to make him proud or you start crafting this, you know, like Instagram post or something. And this time, like there was none of that. It was just, nobody knows I'm doing this. It's literally just, it's exactly what I want to be doing. It's just for me. It's not interfering with my kids. I'm getting everything else done at work. Um, so I'm like a big fan of the silent marathoning is, uh, what somebody called it. (laughs) The silent marathon. I love it. Because you just um, described um, every run I do. It's like, (laughs) what do I have to do to get George to give me a kudos? (laughs) You just got to give it a name. (laughs) Yeah, but I think there's so much that over time you just, you want to run to be able to say that you did this or you ran this time. And I still, I still wanted to do that. I, I mean, I went out without intention. So I would say the race was like overall the race itself was it was disappointing, but I didn't let it, you know, I didn't let it to, I didn't let it like disappoint me, I guess, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, wow. You have really, um, <laughs> once again, once again, you, you actually said, I will never do this again. On the last podcast, you said, I will never bear my soul again. And I, <laughs> you have, you have totally impressed me with your description of your approach and then actually doing the race and then what it meant to you. I, George, I actually I didn't tell you, Eric, George accidentally told you, and I was pissed. Yeah, you true. sent pictures. Oh, you, I guess at that point you just gave up trying to hide it because. Yeah. Well, I think George had said something and I was like, George. No, I, I, I presumed that because I was in on it, that Eric was in on it because because we have a very lively text thread um and i mentioned something about it on that text thread like a month out um and uh and yeah you were a little bit upset with me that i that i told eric even that you were actually running this yeah i would say this was like it was a little too extreme but i think i think that's okay put a little Um, few more people in now like looking back because it was actually better for me once eric knew but i was like i i I didn't i just didn't want to say anything to anybody mm -hmm. um so, but, but I think that's kind of, that's kind of how you figure out where those, where those lines are. Do you know what I mean? Sure. And so, so you, you've done the telling everybody thing and you, now you've pretty much done the telling nobody thing. And so that kind of helps you see what the relative merits are and, and determine exactly what the right level of publicity is. Do you know Yeah, what I mean? there's definitely a good middle of the road somewhere. So. Yeah. 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 I call that book ending. You know, yeah, I call that bookending. Totally. I do this at work all the time. I'll say, well, the worst case is this. Mm-hmm. So I think you've, you've set the bookends now and you, you can find some place in the middle of that spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so Michelle, I, I've got a question for you. My question's always going to be about the gear. So yeah. what, what shoes did you end up wearing? Because I intentionally didn't ask you about this. Um, so I actually picked up a pair of uh, Vaporfly Next Percent twos. I did not have a good experience in the endorphin pro in Boston. Mm-hmm. Half of that is I was not going to wear anything that I wore in Boston <laughs> or, you know, it, those shoes, sure. everything from that race was just in the garbage can. I'm just kidding. I didn't throw them away. Um, but I actually do think that for me, the pros got a little bit too stiff um, over about the 13 to 15 mile mark. And there was a lot of that. Um, that that's side note. That's my experience with the pros as well. I mean, um, I was, I, I, and I, I like the endorphin pros just fine, but I, I, I wore them for three stages in the blue Ridge relay. And by the time I got to the third stage, which was about probably 20 miles worth of running in them, they felt kind of hard. 
Um, yeah. And then the Zwift marathon that I did on my, my uh, treadmill in the last week of 2021, by the, I wore them then. And by the time I got beyond the 20 mile mark, they, they, I don't know what it is, but they just get. Yeah. They're just punishing. too hard. You just feel yeah. like you're, I just yeah. felt like I was running. The feel on. of them changes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, the last time I ran what I consider to be a really good marathon, I wore the uh, 4% cause that's all that there was. So I'm not a fan of Nike, um, but I did. Oh, I guess Tara Westride knew that I was running Houston <laughs> because when you walk in and you, <laughs> and you want to try on those shoes. So I wanted to try the new balance, but they didn't have them. And it was just a few weeks out and I needed a pair of shoes. Um, so I was like financially into doing whatever I could, um, to give myself what I thought was going to be the most comfortable run in terms of shoes. So I did wear those. The shoes were great. Uh, I got two black toes in Boston. I don't, my feet were fine after Houston and I was really happy with them. So what, what you mentioned that it was cold. What, oh. How cold was it? And it was windy um, yeah. and, and the course kind of moves around. And so there were times when the wind was at your back and times when the wind was at your face and stuff like that. Um, but what was the actual temperature? It was cold. The real feel was in the upper twenties. Um, so it was in the low thirties when we started and I was super stressed about, uh, what to wear. I'd had a way too cold experience in Philly in 2016. And I had worn shorts and I felt like I finished that race and I was hypothermic. So for this one, it was very similar weather also with wind. And I decided to wear like, a very lightweight merino wool shirt underneath a singlet and shorts and, and socks. And it was, I was too cold. Hmm. Like I just, I was, I was cold on the bottom. And then up top, I was the most fascinating thing. The first time I stopped to go to the bathroom around mile 14, I could not believe how both shirts I was wearing were drenched with sweat. So I was cold, but I was soaking wet with sweat, but I wasn't really feeling it. And I know they, you know, don't, do anything different during race day, but I've never raced with a long sleeve shirt underneath a singlet and I will never do that again. Hmm. So, um, I'm not, I, I don't know. I don't know how I would have changed that. Honestly, I had so much stuff and we were really prepared for everything, but maybe there just was no best, uh, outfit for that type of weather. I'm not sure. Actually, Why, why would you never wear a singlet over your wool long sleeve again? I was just, I was, it was too heavy by the end. It was, I don't know. It was, it just, I wasn't comfortable at all. I didn't like that at all. Um, I'm not sure why I think the arm warmers, I don't know, maybe just a single long sleeve shirt is what I should have done, honestly, and just forget about the singlet. Uh, but you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't like make or break my race. It's just that I was not comfortable with what I was wearing and that was sort of annoying, but it's okay. So what's next, Michelle? Oh God. Cause you've taken, cause you, as you, as you mentioned, when we went around the horn, you've taken sort of a proper recovery here, which is good. Uh, I'm a yeah, big fan of after, after big, huge target races of actually winding it down and, and letting everything recover your mind, your body, your finances, your relationships, everything. Um, and you've been doing that. Yeah. So, so, so do you know what's next? What are you going to start winding up for? Um, I don't want to just go into like a big base phase, just, run like mileage. I don't know. I have all these books on audible that I want to listen to. Like, hmm. I just, I don't know. 
I guess it kind of depends on what we do next January. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> what are we going to do next January, George? I love it. There, I love it. We're already talking about segues next year. here. There are multiple segues. Uh, the one segue I will take advantage of at this point is to say that on Audible today, I was listening to our new book of the quarter. Yeah, that's good. Um, and, and it is good. And so, we haven't actually announced what our book of the quarter is. And so, we should probably go ahead and do that. Uh, Michelle, you want to tell everybody what it is? The book of the quarter is a book that is written by Danielle Friedman, childhood friend of mine, um, straight from, you know, Cobb County. Uh, we went to Sunday school together, Hebrew school together. We were in homeroom together for high school because it's alphabetical. She's always been way smarter than me and just about anybody I know. And she just wrote her first book and it's called Let's Get Physical. I love it so far. It reads sort of like a history class or women's studies class, you know, in the women's genre exercise uh, that I would have loved to have taken in college. And I am so sure that some professor is going to turn this into some course on, you know, some liberal arts school somewhere. And I wanted to read it because first of all, I know from just like high school. Her writing is amazing. We had this high school English teacher who was impossible and he loved her. Let's get physical, physical. (laughs) That look. It's on Audible. It's on Amazon. It is on a bunch of podcasts. She was on another Mother Runner and I think she's just kind of making the rounds. It's Mm -hmm. a different type of book, I would say, than anything that we've read. It's my type of book. Yeah, it's, it's, it's college professor George type of book. It's so, totally so, college professor stuff. Yes, I I, I very much enjoyed it. So history and research and women's studies, sociology. Yeah. Yes, there's all sorts of fantastic aspects it's so of good. that I've enjoyed so far. So so yeah, I'm I'm about uh, I'm a chapter into it here. I ordered it from my favorite bookshop in Athens, Georgia, Avid Bookshop, um, and uh, and and I've been listening to it also as I've resumed my commute here in 2022. Um, and yeah, I very much enjoyed it so far. And the audiobook, she reads it herself, which is awesome. Yeah, nice. it's awesome to hear her read it. It's great. It's so cool. I mean, I, I know her. Like, I know her like pretty <laughs> um, And it's also like a surefire interview for us when we're done reading it. So, so oh, baby. <laughs> so there we go. So we will definitely be trying to get her on the on the podcast to talk to us about it. So yeah, join us for the book of the quarter. Um, all right. We got to talk about the, the, the people that you inspired in Houston to run the fastest time that any American woman has ever run Um, and the fastest half marathon that uh, any woman has ever run on American soil um, also happened that day. So uh, we would be remiss if we talked about the Houston marathon and didn't talk about Kira D'Amato and Sarah Hall for sure. Um, Kira D'Amato, 219.12, broke Dina uh, Castor's record that stood since 2005. Um, Pretty amazing story that has gotten a lot of attention over the course of the past uh, couple of weeks, um, that she was an All-American at American University, the uh, the university that's in Washington, D.C. there. She finished fifth in yes. collegiate cross country. Um, and so clearly she is, you know, a brilliant runner um, back in the day. She took a couple of years and tried to go pro, didn't really get a whole lot of sponsorships, um, kind of retired from running um, and began a job as a realtor, had a couple of kids, um, and then decided a few years ago to kind of start running a little bit more again. In 2017, she entered a marathon, and ran 313. Um, and then she uh, just kind of kept on running and kept on running. And then 
now she has broken Dina Castor's record as a full-time realtor and as a mother of two here um, who took, what, 10 years off of running. Um, so, so a pretty impressive story and pretty incredible. Um, what, what, what do you, Michelle, what do you have to say about her and about, about her performance that day? I was on the same course and I know what the conditions were and it was cold and the wind was not really at our backs until after mile 18. Honestly, when I go back and look at her splits, I mean, she is literally 518, 519, every single 5k, just so solid. Like people think Des is a metronome. I feel like she is the new uh, <laughs> definition of a metronome. So you know, she put everything into that. And I think she's, she wanted this probably sooner than now. And then she got a little bit hurt. So it's pretty amazing the way that she rounds into shape. I, I really, she's somebody who probably six weeks ago would have struggled running that pace for a half marathon and the way that her coach trains her. I mean, she's described it before, but she, you know, she goes, um, like a four and a half week out of a six week cycle, she can just get so, so, so much more fitness. Um, and we saw her in Chicago in October and she wasn't hundred percent healthy. Right. And this is, a, it's not a, you know, it's not like a super quick turnaround, but there's three months. Exactly. You, you, you know exactly how quick that turnaround is. Cause you did the same turnaround. Right. Because Chicago would have been October 11th. If, if I think Boston was October 12th something like that. And this was January 16th. So maybe she had 13 weeks um, and she threw in a pretty good, you know, half marathon in there also. So I, you know, super impressed by her. She's going to shut it down now and try to run the 10 K to make it for worlds because if she had had the fitness she had in Houston and Chicago, she would have placed better and made the world championship marathon team, but she didn't. So I'm excited to see her tear it up on the track. I think she's just running with a zest that she had 10 years off and she was always incredibly talented in college. So, you know, there's a lot of speculation out there, but I think she's just got the raw talent and she's just now getting into what's probably going to be a several year career that just started much later for her than most professional runners. Is she the one, I mean, this record has withstood several yeah, challenges. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing that kind of blows me away a little bit is that that um, I think she's just so fresh. She's just so fresh for the marathon with so much raw talent. And also, like, she does not give a fuck <laughs> like she will run herself into the ground. She will hurt. She has an ability to hurt. I just don't I don't. She's she's fearless. Mm -hmm. She's. She, when you're running 517, 518 miles and you, you fall off pace, I do think she was off pace between like around 30K. She started right. to slow down a bit because right. I think we heard on Running Rogue that he was at the 30K mark and she had fallen off pace. I mean, do you know how hard it is to get back on pace? Mm -hmm. Like after at that pace, especially. Mm -hmm. And she didn't just. Break. No, I don't. Uh, because I can't actually run a mile. This, you know, that article we read about the Brooks guy, I am definitely feeling like a person who runs right now. <laughs> <laughs> the Bloomberg article? 518 for 26.2 yeah. miles. Yeah, throwing down. But you're right. She, yeah, running road, Chris talked about her falling off the pace and not looking that great. And, and also, 
her American record is like, it's half a second per mile that mattered every single mile. That's mm-hmm. insane. Yeah. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think she can go faster. I know that p- people are probably going to think that that's crazy, but I think she can run 218. She, she is only the second American woman ever to run under 220. Um, and there's only a handful of American women who have even run under 20, 222. Um, and so to me, the question becomes, okay, now that, that other women have seen her break through this barrier, um, is They're this, gonna come. To, They're is, gonna is, come is this and... going to lead yes. a parade, which yes. I would love to see. Yeah. Uh, I but... think you're going to see like Emma Bates down there, low 220, really. I think you're going to see people cresting that 220 mark more now. If she can do it, people are out there thinking, if she can do it, I can do it. Mm-hmm. That's all you need. Yeah. And she didn't do it under the best conditions. I mean, you've mentioned it. No. That, that was cold and windy. Mm-hmm. So what, what could she have done on a not as cold, not as windy course? And she and she had, she had her pacers out there with her. She had a couple of pacers, a couple of training partners out there that were, that were on point and that, that they were helping her pace. But but she won the race, um, you know. And so if she if she was in a race where she had somebody to chase there at the very end, you know, could she run? even the two eighteens or something else like that. It's hard to say. Um, yeah. But, what if she but, was out at the marathon project and under almost perfect conditions, flat she course, was. wide turns. No, I mean, again, now after this, after she knows what she can do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's coached. I think it's worth mentioning. She's coached by a guy named Scott Rasco. Um, and she was heavy on the praise for Scott Rasco after she set the record. Scott Rasco has one other notable person that he has coached throughout the course of his career, and that's one. Alan Webb. Yeah. Um, and Alan Webb, uh, for those of you who are track and field fans, you know, he holds the high school record for the mile in the United States. He ran 353 as a high school runner, and Scott Rasco was his high school coach. And then when Alan Webb went off to college at the University of Michigan, decided to leave the University of Michigan after a couple of years and go pro, he went back to Scott Rasco. Scott Rasco becomes his full-time professional coach um, and ended up going on coaching him to be uh, the American record holder in the mile. How Kira D'Amato ended up with Scott Rasco as her marathon coach is maybe a story that you know, but I don't know, Michelle. But it's interesting to me that Scott Rasco now is the coach of the men's American record in the mile and the women's American record in the marathon. <laughs> yeah, I actually That's don't That's an interesting know. range. Did, I mean, you would probably know this. Did he ever have anything to do with American University? I don't think so. So, I mean, he was from that area. So maybe sure, that's it, but- right? Um, yeah. I mean, he, he, he coached in Northern Virginia and West, West in Virginia. So, so yeah. maybe, maybe there was some crossover that way. I will um, say though, they are, they are like locked into each other. Um, yeah. that, that is one thing I also, you know, he is like, they are just, they seem so, um, aligned with everything. Mm-hmm. She just kind of seems like she does whatever he says and believes that she can, you know, she can run these times based on the training that he gives her and the way that he trains her, which I think is, you know, a testament to, to him, obviously, um, but obviously her also. So, yeah, yeah, so. for sure. For sure. Um, utter belief in herself. Um, you know, several reporters I heard talking about it said that she had mentioned on Friday that she was going to be going after this record, you know, at the press conference and they're all kind of like, yeah, okay. Um, and, That's right. And Dan, <laughs> years. Go and do it. Record's you know? been around for 15 years. 
and, right. and has withstood challenges by more accomplished runners than Kira Damato. Um, but damned if she didn't do it. So good for her. Um, and of course, not to be be overshadowed that day was Sarah Hall's new American record in the half marathon, 107.15. I mean, it was completely overshadowed, but yes, <laughs> it is also a remarkable run. <laughs> Agreed uh, with both of those things. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I think Ryan, Sarah Hall's husband, Ryan Hall, who's the American men's marathon record holder. Amer half marathon. Half but he also holds the record for the men's marathon. No, uh, Khalid Kanuchi is the men's marathon record, American record holder. So the fastest marathon ever run by an American is Ryan Hall, but he ran it on in, in Boston. Oh yeah, an eligible when there was a win okay. behind him. You're right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, right, so but Ryan Hall will often bill himself and will often allow other yeah, people yeah, to yeah. bill him as the That's fastest right. ever American marathoner, That's which right. is one of a few different reasons why I don't much like Ryan Hall. But that's yeah. a story I for mean, another podcast. Are, having a fun time juxtaposing, you know, Ryan Hall had a half marathon debut on the same course, same race 15 years ago. That is still the men's American half marathon record. Mm -hmm. Sarah Hall is, you know, had a 15 year career with unbelievable highs and unbelievable lows and kind of just found a new groove in, in the marathon the last few years. And she had had American record holder kind of on her mirror basically since the Olympic trials kind of didn't work out for her before Tokyo. So it was good to see her. I mean, she really knocked it out of the park with that half marathon. You know, she tried a few times during the pandemic on that uh, out and back in Eugene and came pretty close, but this was just a, a fabulously executed race for her. She was so happy. It was, it's, it's good to see her so happy. I really, I really like her. So what is her merit? Is she running Boston? um she is running boston yes yeah and so so Everybody she's not gonna break this record boston. in boston you know <laughs> um and so so it's kind of you know you you, you kind of wish well maybe she was gonna you know in eight weeks or, or you know six to eight weeks be running another fast marathon but i guess not i mean i don't really think kiera's american record is in danger until we get to uh berlin chicago london type stuff which is all in fall 2022 so mm -hmm. no one's gonna run probably under 21912 at least for american women on the boston course although now that i say that that i should not uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see yeah, we'll see we'll see um, we should also mention and once again not looking to be overshadowed um the cody chipnego um won that race that day sarah hall was actually second kira damato won the marathon overall in houston um but the winner of the the half marathon uh, was a woman named Vicody Chipniego, um, and she ran 105.0 something, um, under five minute pace for the entire half marathon there, um, and, uh, and, and set an all comers record here in the United States. So pretty incredible performance on her part as well. All right. So Michelle, you weren't the only person who has raced over the course of the past couple of weeks. <laughs> I am not the only person. That's I'm a, also not the a, only person who raced in very cold weather. So that is true indeed. Were you about to say that was a really expert segue, Eric? I was. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, 204 podcasts in, I'm finally mastering my segues. Um, uh, but no, I ran a race this past weekend that, that we hadn't really made plans to talk about on the podcast prior to the race. 
But when I was about three hours into this race, I was like, I am talking about this effing race on the podcast <laughs> because it is far too much effort for me to just kind of let it melt out into the ether. Um, and so I definitely want to take a little bit of time to process and rate race report the uh, mountain mist 50 K that, that I did this past weekend in Huntsville, Alabama. So a little bit of quick context to share. And then by all means, Y'all asked me a few questions about it, but um, the context you'll recall is that that I had signed up for this race a couple of times in the past, and I hadn't done it because I didn't feel like I was prepared. Um, I didn't feel like I was going to go there and have a decent race, whereas this whole notion of being prepared and only running a race if you're prepared for it is like so 2019 at this point. Um, and, and part of what we talked about on the Resolution podcast is that I've kind of gotten to this place where, where, uh, and I've wanted to get to this place for a while. It just took a global pandemic to push me there. Um, that, that I'm more willing to go into races, not entirely prepared and enjoy the experience of them and do the best that I possibly can. Um, and so even though I wasn't entirely prepared to run a 50 K on trails, um, I, I decided to go ahead and tow the line that day. Now I wasn't completely unprepared. You know, I had raced a half marathon a couple of weeks before I had run that marathon on the treadmill. I had done a two hour plus long run going over to Kennesaw Mountain with Justin Dugan on January 1st. I've done lots of runs between an hour and a half and an hour and 45 minutes. And so I wasn't completely unprepared. Um, I've done plenty of cycling and plenty of shorter workouts, um, but I wasn't prepared um, in terms of endurance and certainly in terms of, of the technical nature of this race. Um, and I definitely had not read enough about the technical nature of this race. This course was far more difficult than I expected. Michelle, you are laughing at me at this point. <laughs> I mean, this race destroyed me last year. And it's like, I feel like I said all this already. And did anybody listen to me? Like, <laughs> See, and I keep carkening back, Michelle, to your saying, Oh, there's this little hill at the four mile mark of the Los <laughs> Angeles Marathon, which is undoubtedly the most significant climb in any major marathon on the planet. I told you it was a substantial hill. You did not say the word substantial. And, and I feel like you must have undersold the Mountain Mist 50K course similarly, because I know that it hurt you. I know how bad you were destroyed at the end, but... I had no idea that I was literally going to be climbing up an ice covered rock wall. I had no <laughs> idea that I was going to literally do a dozen Creek crossings over a frozen Creek. Okay. I didn't know that I was going to be scrambling down the sides and literally jumping off of cliff faces, which is what I was doing. I had miles that were, that were over 20 minutes per mile. Yeah. I know the feeling. <laughs> so here's the thing I, I just I, I was not I just had no idea it was gonna be that hard it's I fell nine times Michelle <laughs> it's because of the ice George so I'm not saying it would have been a better experience it's hard no matter what but the ice the ice just did you in the, the ice was rough so so fall number one was by far the worst fall. And it was 20 minutes into the race and I was on a rock that was covered in ice and I stepped on it and I slipped and I fell directly onto my back and it hurt. Um, it hurt bad enough to where if I would have dropped out a few miles later, y'all couldn't have given me a hard time about it. I would have been like, nope, you should see the bruise on my back at this point, it's bad. 
Um, but I kind of sucked it up and, and kept on running and, and all that sort of thing. The next day I said that, that I had soreness from running. I had soreness from trauma from all the falling down. And then I had a special sort of soreness that was from running with trauma. <laughs> it was like a new sort of yeah, new yeah it, was, it was like a third layer of soreness um but yeah so so went out there fell down early on uh you know eventually kind of found my groove it was it was um uh and and, and just as soon as you kind of think that you are are finding a runnable section on that course you will just run into the most mountainous thing you've ever seen. Um, like Eric, you remember when you did that beast of the East race, um, yes. back in December and you yes. sent us a picture and <laughs> that, that it was like, don't go here, no trespassing. And then there's like a flag on the other side, marking the course that you're literally course, supposed to yeah. go to the place where it says not to go. That's yeah. what this course was like in that. Like I, I would be fine. It was very well marked, which I appreciate Um, but, but, I would literally like go up and the trail would just end. There was nothing there. And I'd be like, okay, there's a, I'm literally standing next to a flag. <laughs> so I'm not off course. And I would look around and I'd see this flag like on a rock 50 yards away. And I was like, how the fuck do I get there? <laughs> and that happened at least half a dozen times, <laughs> you know? Hey, George, George, welcome to ultra. <laughs> and it's, so it's funny you say welcome to trail running because, because, and I, I didn't I, say welcome to trail running. What did you say? Welcome to ultra. To ultra running. All right. So I, I will say there, there was a degree to which, and I, I'm having all these thoughts. The race took five hours. So of course I'm having all these thoughts in my head during the race as well. And, and I've had more of them as I've processed over the course of the past four days, but I, I have, run as many miles on trails as I've run on the road. And I've won trail races before that sort of thing. I've always kind of thought my, of myself as somebody who races on the road, but Hey, I'm pretty comfortable on trails as well. I feel like I have been completely exposed as a non-trail runner. <laughs> I feel like, like, like all of this time for the past 30 years, my pretending to be a trail runner has just been farcical. Um, You've been the, running at Kennesaw Mountain and other places, yeah, but, but nothing your, like your, this. Your I, regular I, trail run is Kennesaw Mountain, <laughs> which which is a fairly non-technical trail. I agree with you on that, but I, it, it, but I, but I've run several other trail races in several other places. I've never been to a place where, like, literally, I'll be standing at the bottom on at the bottom of a creek, and there is a wall, and there's a flag on top of the wall. <laughs> and I have to climb, literally climb up the side of the wall that's covered in ice in order to continue on with the trail run. <laughs> like I said, I feel like I've been exposed. Um, and it was, it was kind of weird for me because the people that I kind of ended up being around, whenever the trail, particularly in the back half, this didn't happen very much, but whenever the trail would kind of open up and it'd be more runnable, I'd run away from them because I was a faster runner than they were. But then as soon as we'd like get into these technical bits where we're like scrambling over rocks or crossing creeks or trying not to die in ice and all sorts of other things like that, um, they'd all catch up with me again because they were able to better manage all of those trail obstacles than I was. Um, what was it like on the downhills? You're talking about all the uphills. Oh, the, the downhills were far worse than the uphills. Like, I, I, you know, and I, whenever you 
you know, someone I know runs a race and I'm like, hmm, should I, should I do this someday? I, I like really dig into the Strava data. And I noticed late in the race, there's like a really steep downhill mm-hmm. and it looked like you walked, like your, your oh, yeah. pace just went to nothing. And I said, that must've been a really technical downhill. Yeah, yeah, no, there, there was, so, so in the same way that like, I was literally go to a wall and there'd be a flag on top of the wall. I get to the end of a ledge and there'd be a flag down at the end of the ledge. I'm like, how am I supposed to, like, am I supposed to jump 10 feet off this cliff? It'd be faster. Um, it would be faster. And at that point, you know, it'd probably be preferable. Um, but, but yeah, mile 25 went up 600 feet. Mile 28 went down 500 feet. Um, and both of those took about the same amount of time. Oh, that mile 28 is just horrific. And you get to the top and then you make a kind of a 180 degree turn and head. Oh, Oh, yeah. And wouldn't you know it, there was some asshole that was standing at the top of the hill at 25. It was like, it's all downhill from here. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Thanks, bud. He said, there's (laughs) one big, big uphill at the end. He didn't say it was downhill, like off the side of a suicidal mountain. Like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. That's after the last aid station, right? So the last, so so you have one climb front that starts right about mile twenty nine. At least it's twenty nine on my watch. That goes on for about a mile, um, right. and then there's an aid station with about two kilometers to go. Oh yeah, um, no. that had some 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 Cub Scouts that were that were yeah. uh, that were manning that aid station. And at that point, you're at the top of the ridge and and you're running towards home. And so at that point, because at the bottom of the hill, because yeah. there's been so much technical stuff, a couple of guys had caught up with me. And so I had, I had found a way to run up that hill when I could kind of hurry on up that hill. And then as soon as we're on that ridge, I started hauling ass as fast as I could at that point to try and finish strong. And I'm actually really proud looking back on that last two kilometers of the race that I ran really hard and ultimately put seven minutes on those two guys that were with me with, with two miles to go um, because I was able to run faster than they were there. Um, so I'm actually really, really proud of that. Um, I'm less proud of the fact that 200 meters from the finish line, I actually fell for the ninth time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, George, it was, um, you know, it, it made me think about that mile 28. It was your slowest mile. Yeah. And it's primarily downhill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It was, it, was, it was 500 feet of downhill. It was like 500 feet of downhill. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, no, it was awful. Yeah, yeah. No. And your heart rate is like the lowest it was for the entire race. Oh, yeah, it was like under 100. <laughs> it's like a resting heart rate. No, it was, yeah. yeah I, I, just, I was not prepared for that. I was prepared for, for, for a trail that was covered in rocks. And, and that meant that you kind of had to... to navigate the trail a little bit i wasn't i wasn't prepared for like literally jumping off the sides of miniature mountains as they're covered in ice like just didn't read that in the race description nobody i knew who ran it last year told me about that (laughs) there's there's something to be said for the guy who clocks a 644 first lap <laughs> first mile, first mile in six minutes and 44 seconds, and then drops a 1626, a 1626, an 1812 downhill 500 feet. Yeah, that would <laughs> but be you me. did pull it back together at the end. <laughs> so, so that that 644 opening mile is is on the driveway to yes. the trail. To be Asshole. fair, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, I I was and at that point I was probably like 20th place to the mile, and so 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 yeah. Uh, there were plenty of people that ran that first mile that fast than I did. I kind of had a goal. I wanted to finish top 10, even though place goals are always kind of dodgy. And I finished 10th, which was cool. Um, I was the second master 
Um, and so that meant I got, I got a pint glass, um, which is always fun too. Um, well done. So that was pretty cool. Um, here's the thing I, I, I can kind of mention as we, as we wrap it up here. I mean, I fell on my face, <laughs> like fall number four. I, I can actually recount every single one of the falls for you, if you like, which I don't think I should probably do. He's so traumatized. But, but no, I, I was traumatized, like physically and mentally traumatized, no doubt. But no, I wish we fall. could show everybody the picture that you took of your face. No, fall number four. I literally my face hit the ground and, 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 and my, my I ended up getting an abrasion on my chin and one on my forehead. Um, and I literally was on the ground. And I was like, oh, my God, it's on my face. Um, like I was, I was more like just mortified that that had actually just occurred. <laughs> I hate to tell you this, George, but you know, friend of the podcast, podcast, Grace Hall, my daughter would look at you and say, "That's the first time you fell on your face." <laughs> so it's not go, the first go, time I've ever run more ultras. Face, run so, more but, ultras. So yeah, so so that was that one, and then four. Of the, so four of the falls, four fall number five, six, seven, and eight, all came right in a row. They all came within about a mile and a half of one another. One of them was right before the big giant ice wall that I had to climb up. Um, you have to cross an ice covered creek. And I was kind of so focused on the ice wall that as I'm crossing the creek, I literally fell backwards onto my back into the freezing creek. Oh, now I did feel better about the fact that the guy who was right behind me, like, so I get to the ice wall and start trying to figure out how the hell I'm going to climb up this thing. And the guy who's right behind me did the same thing. He like fell the same way. And I, and I was like, I fell the same way, bro. As if that's like, you know, some comfort to anybody. And your mouth is all frozen. And so you can't really talk. And, and yeah, so we all just sounded ridiculous as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, are you going to stop talking long enough for, for us to ask a couple of questions? I mean, yeah. I can't even talk. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's hear it. So, so I'm going to go back to, to what you asked Michelle, but I'm not going to ask about the preparation, but was this, was this experience a success? Was it what you wanted to get out of it? Yeah, actually. So, so for, for all the trash that I'm talking about this race, um, I'm actually happy with it. Um, I, I'm happy with it. I consider it a success. I'm proud of the effort that I put in. I am, um, you know, I, I, I don't look at it and, and think that I'm sorry that I did it um, or, or anything like that. Um, I mean, it, it beat the hell out of me. Um, I haven't been as sore as I was on Sunday in, I mean, I don't know the last time I was that sore. Um, and I remember things pretty vividly. I, I cannot remember being that beaten up, that sore um, after any race as I was after this 50K that I did on Saturday. Um, and today it's four days later, it's Wednesday and I'm still sore today, four days later, and I'm starting to feel back to normal. I did, I did my first kind of normal workout this morning. Um, yeah. I have a couple of quotes that you, you, <laughs> a couple of quotes from you. This is, this is George. Um, it's comical. Really? I keep laughing at myself for being so ridiculously incapable of movement. I might be losing, I might be losing my mind. I did. No, on sun so on Sunday, I man, I literally slid down the I was the only person in my house on Sunday. My wife was out of town, my sons were at the grandmother's house. Um, and so I get up on, on Sunday morning and I literally laid down on my back and slid down the stairs. <laughs> right. Because I didn't want to, to put in an eccentric track. Like going down the stairs backwards, like you do when your quads are so sore, didn't help. 
didn't help at all. Um, and so I slide downstairs. Um, I, I shuffle around and get myself some tea and, and have a little breakfast and that sort of thing. And then I take my backpack and I put my backpack over my shoulder and I start to go back upstairs and I put my, my foot on the first stair and I literally went onto the first stair. And it was like, took every bit of muscle power I could get out of my quad and my glute and, and my lower back and everything just to make that first stair. And I kind of <laughs> stood there and I was like, I think I'm staying downstairs. <laughs> So, so I want you to, to put that feeling juxtaposed to this next quote that I want to, that I want to yeah. throw at you, George. Damned if looking at these blank pictures, this is when you were looking back at your race pictures this was last night. If it doesn't make me think about signing up again, I know. what the hell is wrong with us? Just, just what, are you, what are you thinking? Where, where, where's your head? I, all right. So, so like at mile 27 of the race, when I was like trying to navigate all of these ledges and rocks and ice and everything else like that, I ran past this guy taking pictures and he goes, Hey, just remember you paid for this. You know, that joke that people always do. And I was kind of like, ah, yeah, okay. Um, and he goes, he goes, and you'll probably pay for it again. And I was like, Nope. <laughs> and and that was one thing that I said to like several people over the like 24 to 48 hours after the race. I was like, you know, I'm glad I did it. Check it off the list. I don't tend to do races over and over and over again anyway. I tend to kind of be one and done with most races. I kind of have the experience, um, you know, and I'm glad I did this race and I can say that I did it and I'm done. Like, good. Got it. I don't have to do this, this, this race again. Um, and then, yeah, I started looking at some of the pictures that were posted online by various photographers out there and, and they're not great pictures. I look cold. I look tired. Like I crossed the finish line. I'm all slumped over. Um, and, and like I said, I have that text, never, I, that picture, you know, I, I'm so glad you shared that picture because I have never, and I've run four Blue Ridge relays with you and I've seen you tired. I have never seen you look so despondent despondent yeah that's a good, that's a good word yeah. I, but i think it's more despondent it looked like it was you yeah it destroys you that race will destroy you but but being destroyed physically destroyed is one thing no it's not George, physical <laughs> but he did not cross the finish line he stepped on it i did the same picture Bad. yeah no i'm telling you dude i i, I had just I had just gotten up for my last fall, remind you. And I know. I, yeah. I didn't I, know that I, until just now. I, when I, when I, I, when I fell that. with 200 meters to go, my, my left hip flexor totally cramped up too. And so after having this really, what should have been this triumphant run towards the finish, I then ended up kind of limping into the finish because I have a cramp in my left hip flexor. And so, so like that literal, it was insult to literal injury um, or injury to insult um that, that that i was suffering there in that very moment so yeah no i was yeah yeah that was one of the other the, the the text messages you sent we were asking about how you felt i think this was the day after and you're like that's eh, not so bad but then you started listing the things that hurt and you ended it with then there's all the stuff that hit the ground face left thumb right knee <laughs> left hip left shin yep yep my thumb still hurts my face doesn't hurt anymore. My hip and my knee don't hurt. Anymore. My thumb still hurts. I don't know why that is. So, so. Uh, 
When so, was it when George told us he'd sooner sell his children? When we asked him if he would do it again? Or what, no, what no, it? no. You, you said you said you liked the mug that I got. And you, oh, you said yeah. you, you said you were you said you were going to take the mug, and I was I was, I'd say I'd, I'd sooner glass. give you one of my children than this mug. <laughs> okay, so Michelle, the pint glass, yeah, not the mug, the pint glass. Michelle, okay, so we need to ask the important questions, Eric. Yeah, we we cannot let this go without talking about the two day long text thread <laughs> of Michelle and Eric talking George off the the, the ceiling. About okay. his clothing choice. You're talking about beforehand. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about, I want to know what is George going to do differently before he runs this again next January? <laughs> I, I, there, there's a the couple things we need to address as far as that goes. All right. So, so let's address both those things. First thing. Okay. First like, of all, like, like Eric started to say just a minute ago, I started looking at those pictures last night and in some bizarre way, like, and I was so, I've never been more adamant that I'm never going to run a race again. <laughs> and, and somehow by Tuesday night, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll run again. Like, what the hell is the matter with us? Like, it's so ridiculous. Um, but I'm already starting to think, oh, well, I could train this differently. I could do a little bit more hiking. I could do like a little bit more eccentric work. And I know how better how to get around some of these things I did before. I need a different pair of shoes, maybe nutrition strategy, like all of these different things that I'm, I'm actually thinking these things through. I spent way too much time today researching shoes that have good traction in ice. What did you come up with? So the VJ Ultras, which I cannot VJ now find. Ultra. Um, which I totally would have bought if I could have found an available pair in 10.5s today, um, but I couldn't <laughs> find one because literally I would have bought them for the race next year, <laughs> more than 52 weeks away at this point. Um, and so, so yeah, I just, I can't figure out why this is something I might want to do again, except to say that, that, uh, and I texted this to y'all, I, I am looking at aspects of it that I'm like, I think I could do a few things better. There are a few things I feel like I could have done better. Um, and, and not that I want to make it like my A race or a target race or anything else like that, but there's a few things I feel like I could have fixed. Um, and if I could, I think I probably could have gone a little bit faster. And that's what this whole endurance sports thing is about, is trying to be better than yesterday, right? Trying to Amen. improve. And so in some ways it feels really stupid, but in some ways it feels like exactly what this is all about, you know? Um, it's doing the most you can with what you have given the day you're doing it. Right. And I, and I feel, I feel like I did do that this past Saturday, but I feel like I, I could, I could be better. Um, and, and that kind of makes me want to go back and try again. And I cannot believe I'm saying <laughs> yeah. that. I cannot believe I'm saying that. I love yeah. it. Um, Absolutely. The, and, love and then it. The, the, the other thing that Michelle's talking about, and I do need to give both of you um, a lot of, a lot of credit because uh, the real downside of this whole, um, of this whole, like not really spending a lot of time focusing on the race and, and that sort of thing. Um, and, and going into the race, even though I'm kind of unprepared, the real downside to that, besides not reading nearly enough race reports and having any idea of what I was about to face. Um, the, the other downside of that is that, that I didn't really start looking and obsessing about the weather until two or three days beforehand. And, it was going to be 19 degrees. Um, and I was like, I don't know what to wear in 19 degrees. And so I turned to my two friends, Eric and Michelle, who uh, know much more about how to dress and what clothing is out there. Um, and you all gave me advice. And I took your advice to the T. 
Um, even though I was doubting it the night before, I was like, this does not feel like a lot of clothes for 14 degrees. Yes, your, ex um, your exact quote, Actually, this does not enough. feel like enough clothes. <laughs> it didn't. I, I was like, I'm wearing three layers and 14 degrees. This is not, this feels like light clothing. And, and, it was and two of those layers had no insulation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's a big difference when it's 20 to 35 and then it's actually 14 at the start with a real feel of seven. Like, yeah, I was also a little worried, but I felt like the smart world would would do its thing. And once it did. You, once and you got it did. I was fine. I was fine. Um, clothing wise, I was actually good. Um, I, I should have had thicker gloves on. Um, I needed thicker gloves. But I say that at least in part because I pulled the hand warmers out of my gloves probably a little bit too early. George, um, we like that was like mission critical, the hand warmers. They were never yeah, supposed to be the gloves. I know. But hand warmers are weird because you don't really think they're doing anything for you until you pull them out and throw them away. And then your hands get really <laughs> cold and you're like, oh, they were kind of doing something. Oh my God. I mean, speaking hypothetically, of course. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I think that, that I could have used a, a slightly thicker pair of gloves. I mean, this I had this my, really um, thin pair of mittens. This so. type of apparel type of stuff is like my dream job. Like, I cannot tell you how many, I have this core group of friends. Well, and you're they, good at it. I mean, you know, I had the right thing. You did a great job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They'll be like, yeah, it's such and such degrees and it's humid and what should I wear? And I'm just, I love, like, I love to do this. This was very yeah. fun. Well, the, the, well the, the combination of it being that cold with the fact that it was going to be that long with the fact there was also a race. And so you don't just want to throw on a whole bunch of extra layers, given that it's yeah, a race, no, right? Yeah, for sure. You need um, and you had no drop bags, so you didn't so want to go no drop throw bags, away yeah. something you like. Right, right. Um, and so so y'all were pretty critical with that. Um, I won an ugly sweater contest back in December, and so I had a little bit of extra money left over from that, and I used that to buy some layers for this race, and they actually worked really well. Um, like go I said, I wish I would have had a different wore. pair of shoes. I wish I would have had a beefier pair of shoes, but clothing-wise, the clothing that you all recommended for me was – a plus. So thanks, y'all. So, so mention what you wore, because I think it's important for people to understand how little you wore and how well it worked. No, yeah. So I, I wore a um, I wore a smart wool shirt that was the smart wool 250. And so it's a it's a slightly heavier one of their wool, even though you would never put the shirt on and say it's a heavy shirt. Um, and then I wore a vest, um, just an REI brand vest. Um, and then um, I wore uninsulated vest. Yeah. And then I wore a uh, an Asics shell, an Asics jacket that was also uninsulated. Um, so those three layers, and that was it. Um, and then I wore a pair of smart wool underwear, and I wore a pair of tights, wore a pair of socks, wore a pair of shoes, wore a pair of gloves. And that was it. And I would venture to guess that every time you stopped, you got a little chilly. But once you got rolling again, it was good. Yeah, I was. I I was never. Um, I stayed in the car until, you know, a couple minutes before the start. Cause it only had 500 people in the race. Um, and then just kind of wandered over there when they start calling people to start, they started the race with a shotgun, like, <laughs> like a literal shotgun that you think is pow. And it was That's like, Huntsville. it was not like pow. It was like, I mean, it was like, and like, literally I almost fell over and like all these people jumped into me and stuff. And it, like, everybody was like, that was a lot louder. I thought it was going to be, I was like, yeah, you're telling me. Um, but, um, but but I, I was never I was never uncomfortable. I was but never that's cold. normal in Atlanta. You hear gunfire and you run. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I was I, I joked with Michelle that I was cold the whole time and I was, but it was a cold day and my face was frozen and all the pictures, you know, you have all the guys with beards, all they, their beards are all frozen. My mouth was frozen. I had I had ice on my eyelashes um, just because it was such a cold day. The the 
sweat that formed under my jacket. I went at one point and kind of pulled on the bottom of my jacket and it had frozen up under my jacket and it dumped a bunch of ice out. Um, I mean, so it was crazy. Yeah, it was, it was super duper cold uh, for sure. But I was, and so, so I was cold out there, but I was never like freezing. I was never like that, that didn't affect my performance in a way because I was unprepared for it. It affected my performance because everything, all, like all the mud was frozen. And you know, when mud freezes, it freezes into these like real craggly formations. Yeah. Um, and so that was like running on more rocks. Um, yeah. and, and so that, that made it that much harder. Now I, I will say to, to somebody else who's, you know, looking at a race like this, a 50 K in this type of temperature, wearing that little clothing may not work. And, and one of the reasons why it works for you is you were at a really high work rate. You were really generating a lot of internal temperature. One thing that Grace and I found when we ran the Charleston 100 miles that turned into 100K, 100K when we started to slow down, we weren't generating enough heat. Yeah. And then the, the cold starts to affect you, especially late in a race. You know, it starts right. to turn into, I can't keep going because I'm, I'm tightening up and locking up. Mm -hmm. So I think that's important to mention, but I, I really appreciate you like just laying out what you wore because I think that most people will overdress for an event like that the first time. Yeah, no. Um, I. I, I, I would have left my own devices. I, I would not have chosen those layers. I, I would have, I would probably would have worn more layers. I, I wouldn't have worn a wool layer, but I probably would have worn just more shirts. I mean. Yeah. The beauty, the beauty of wool, and this is something that people, you know, if you're a boy scout, you've probably heard this a hundred times, no matter how wet it gets, it still keeps you warm. Yeah. Insulates. Whereas everything else, when it gets wet, it's just like getting out of a, a, a pool in the summer and it's just like that, that it evaporates off of you and it cools you off. So the beauty of wool is that base layer, especially that 250 base layers. You don't need much more. Clearly, yeah, clearly. Um, I liked it. I'm gonna save it for most of my colder runs from now on. Michelle, we doing this race next year? Cause I know, cause as, as I have started talking about it and as you, as you told me that you are literally taking solace from the fact that it crushed me so much. You're like, you, you literally said, you literally no. said, I feel better about being so crushed by it last year, given how crushed you are by it this year. It's just that I, I feel so deeply everything, even, even your misery on Sunday. Like I feel like I felt that, like, I, I remember just pulling over on the side of the road and crying on the way home because I was in so much pain and it was too difficult. Like I didn't, I wanted to get out of the car, but I didn't want to <clears throat> stand up, but my whole body hurt. Like we literally pulled over on the side of the road. Cause I couldn't stop crying while I was driving just cause I was hurting. <laughs> I <laughs> but, apologize uh, for not being more sensitive about that, but I, I, from now on, if you ever tell me how badly you're hurting, I'm going to try and be more empathic because <laughs> uh, it's interesting. I mean, <clears throat> I have the same finishers plate that I'm sure you do, but I just keep it turned around and flat up against the bookshelf. Hmm. Like I don't, I'm not, <laughs> out of that race I'm not. And, I've, and I've had the ultra sign up um google chrome window open on my phone for over a year for this for this year's race I actually think about a week before Boston I sent it to Eric and I was like should I just go ahead and sign up for this now because I was totally gonna do it I was gonna do it again um but then once Boston happened it, I just my heart was in whatever Houston like there was no way to do it after that but it's still open. This stupid page, this stupid registration page is open on my phone. And now it resets for the 2023 race. 
So like, <laughs> am I supposed to close it? Oh my God, are we gonna do this race next year? You guys are gonna run this race next year. I think you need to start preparing. I think you also need to do it though. That's the whole thing. Me? Yes, yes, you. Yes. The issue, the issue is I've got to drive through all these states to get there, or maybe I can fly into it. You'll be fine. Just go to like the top of Georgia where it hits Tennessee and we can pick you up. I was gonna say you drive to the same number of states that we would. What is the problem? Like you just have to go west-ish. We have to go northwest-ish. <laughs> I think this should be this should be our get together. This should be this should be the podcast event of January 2023. Also, like, what is the Duke calendar next year? Maybe Grace wants to do it. Also, I have to find ideas. Well, and Melissa, let's just get the whole hall plan. Yeah. (laughs) Also, I will say that I was very jealous because it felt like the Huntsville people and maybe Guts people, like people, it felt like everybody was running in a group but me. It felt like I was all by myself for 31 miles. And that was just so sad. <laughs> I, I, I didn't feel that way. Um, I felt, I felt that I was, I was in a group at the beginning, um, which I then, you know, fell on that rock and they all ran away. Um, and then I had a couple of people I ran with for a few miles there at various other places. And then when I had people catching me, like as we're going through the technical parts in the back half, like I would have preferred to have been by myself because having other people around meant that they were catching me. And I didn't like that very much. Um, but, but no, the, the vast majority of it was, was me solo. Um, and so, um, but then there was a long line of people that were all kind of together behind me. The next 10 places came in over the course of the next 10 minutes after me. Um, That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, I think you did really well, George. I'm, so, thanks, I'm impressed with you you you'll you'll have a much clearer sense of of what i did or did not accomplish once you run the course yourself this time next year (laughs) (laughs) final word michelle Mm, sounds like it's game on for next year (laughs) i just think we shouldn't do it if it's icy that's the only thing okay i i will say this too like the ice is i'm sure now if you've gone back and read a bunch of race reports the ice makes it a different race, yeah. but it is notorious for the ice. Like when there's right. ice, it's a different race than when there right. isn't. Right. No, if, if, if I would not hesitate to sign up again next year, if there was not going to be ice, but, but ice and then putting ice on rocks and then cro- cr- creek crossings with ice and, and mud that has been turned into ice and places that should have been really runnable, except that there were big ice flows down the middle of the trail and so you had to run on the side of the trail like yeah that was that was undoubtedly the biggest intervening variable of the race um and so yeah if if you were to say hey george you want to run this race next year there's not going to be any ice i would actually probably go ahead and sign up um registration is not open yet (laughs) (laughs) um eric final word rust is king i've uh (laughs) i've I'm taking my advice and I am doing more strength work, which means I've done one workout in 2022. Um, so that's, that's more than last year, I think. <laughs> per, per, per day, it's more than last year. And I'm, I'm resting a lot more. I'm, I'm enjoying my Mondays off and it's paying off. It's paid off in the Zwift racing league. It's paid off in just how I feel about my runs when I go out. It's, it's paying off. So rest is king. Good to hear. Good to hear. Thanks for joining us, y'all. Michelle, appreciate you being here. Yeah, have a good night.
So, Eric, thanks for sticking it out on this long version of the podcast, man. No problem. Anytime. I love it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, or on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, on Facebook at facebook.com slash itlcoachingperformance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's SlayRx.com, Facebook.com slash here for SlayRx. That's the number four, SlayRx. Twitter, at official SlayRx. And Instagram, here for SlayRx, the number four, SlayRx. Discount code PLEASANT22. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.